It's This Week in Sleaze with your hosts, the great lord Joshua Regal and Sleazy K. This podcast has been rated Category 3. No one under 18 may be permitted. Let's talk some fucking that happened for real. And fucking that's not funny at all. Mm, uh, no. We, we got an intent over here this week at least to cover more of the true crime movies that became a trend and staple of 90s Hong Kong Category 3 cinema. And, and we turned to, for this episode, to one that managed to snag an award. And one gritty, grimy one that may, just like many others in these canon of exploitation movies, be pure exploitation. But it does contain some chops. And we are talking about the untold story and the rapist for this episode. And I am Kenny B. And uh, with me is great lord, Joshua Rigo. Sing for us. Um, uh, <laughs> I'm Henry VIII. I am <laughs> Henry VIII. I am. I am. That's, uh, that was not even know. vaguely, vaguely naughty. <laughs> I'm very disappointed. Oh, man. <laughs> Going to the studio like, I am fucking a lot of stuff <laughs> and stuff. Well, I, it's but brilliant genius. <laughs> Cut print from around, brilliant. Uh, oh, welcome, Joshua. Let's uh, let's uh, t- talk of some uh, acclaimed movies, but um, let's see how much of a, uh, of a goofball episode this will be because we're talking dark, dark yes. stuff this episode. Very morbid material this week. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, but okay, first some uh, quick contact information, then we'll launch into it. And this is this week in Sleaze on the Podcast on Fire Network for available accessibility for to this show and all the other shows plus bonus episodes go to podcastonfire.com email for feedback if you have any podcastonfire at googlemail.com join us over at facebook like our page facebook.com forward slash pof network and join the discussion group by clicking the link on that very page or typing in podcast on fire network in the facebook search bar so join the fun over there and follow our tweets twitter.com forward slash podcast on fire on my site sogoodreviews.com you will find most of the movies we talk about reviewed uh, the various category free movies but i also review taiwanese movies and ninja exploitation and what have you sogoodreviews.com and i also do little video reviews at sleazykvideo.com and follow my tweets at twitter.com forward slash sogoodreviews you can subscribe to us via itunes and if you do so and like the show or even dislike the show we would uh, appreciate some feedback a rating of your choice and maybe a little written comment and those of you who have done so Thank you very much for taking the time. That I really, really appreciate. So, it's stupid though because you don't see. Uh, oh, well, that is not stupid, but it's stupid that you don't see user reviews uh, uh, globally. Because on right. my on my local iTunes, I can't see the user reviews because they've been left by presumably um, American listeners. Because I saw them over at the iTunes US store. Then we had like a few a few user reviews. So. Um, so that, that that was a surprise because I've never seen those before. So it's like, hey, yeah. we got them. I'm always like uh, jumping around, you know, changing my you know uh, status of where I'm from and stuff, just so I can see if like uh, V Cinema or Podcast on Fire has like different reviews from different countries. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I yeah, believe because... I left one, but maybe you have to jump over to a, a European iTunes to find one for V Cinema because I, I, I did I did leave one. 
Uh, okay, you can also um, stream our podcasts on Stitch. The application is available to your iPhone, uh, for your iPad, for your Android, and for your BlackBerry, I believe. And uh, once you download the free application, you type in podcast on Fire Network, and you can add each show individually, including this weekend's lease. And do some minor plugging for your two endeavors, Joshua. Oh, there's vcinemashow.com. Not much happening on the podcast front, I don't think, right now. But, you know, always awesome stuff happening is at the website. And then there's variedcelluloid.net, my website, and uh, my home away from home. Uh, currently, just kind of reviewing odds and ends. Mostly a lot of Roman porno here lately. It's what just... a surprise. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, Let me do something uh, different this year. I, I, I don't know. I just they're they're like an hour long, hour and ten minutes. And, oh sweet! You know, I've got like a ton of schoolwork going and stuff, so I just throw in a Roman porno when I get home, and that sounds really weird. But yeah, uh, I have like wife to be sacrificed. Gonna be <laughs> put it into context. Put it into context. Um, is there a context? It's movie. A, movie people. It's a movie. <laughs> lots of torture and uh, stuff like that, and feces going in bags and such yeah uh, it's an interesting one yeah and and, and the titles are as long as the movies <laughs> often uh, angel guts uh high school co-ed that one i'll be uh reviewing shortly i'm gonna go through the angel guts box set i've had it for years and uh some reason i mean i reviewed one of the films uh angel guts red vertigo back in the day and uh, actually made it into the box set with like a quote and stuff. So mm. I've uh, good, good man. I've, so they sent me the box set, and I've had it for years. And I never actually got around to, you know, going through all the films. So that's what I'm going to be doing, you know, over the course of the next few weeks. Right I reviewed Angel Guts uh, High School Co-ed. I got the review written and everything. So up next, I believe, is Red Classroom, and I'm just going to go through them like that. Gutting the box set. Yeah. Yeah, very cool. Congratulations on that, and uh, let, let's see if we, uh, for a future uh, rapist uh, DVD release or uh, untold story DVD release, we can get a quote in there from this podcast. You never know. Uh, so after the slight musical break, we will start discussing the untold story from 1993. So sit tight, and we'll be right back. Welcome back, and we are for the first move tonight, uh, or today, or for or for someone uh, in the morning. For someone, you know, <laughs> <laughs> when, when you're listening, when you're recording, it's all different, uh, all different time zones. We have it. But first of all, uh, plot from my review of the film of this 1993 category three true life crime movie. Wong Chi-Hung, played by Anthony Wong, runs the Eight Immortals restaurant in Macau. The license of mystery behind him, though, and why he owns the restaurant. The previous owner and his family suddenly vanished, and according to Wong, he was handed over the establishment. Soon, a bag of chopped-up human body parts are washed up on the shores of Macau, and the police start putting the clues together. And uh, we're going to talk two of the players uh, before we start the reviewing, and uh, f- we'll turn, first of all, to the lead, Anthony Wong, uh, who won the Best Actor Award for his performance in this film. 
Uh, not something that was common with Category 3 movies at all. We're, we're talking pretty extreme movies, so uh, that was um, a standout uh, decision by the Hong Kong Film Award jury, but uh, pretty deserved, I would say. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he is one of the hardest working Hong Kong actors out there, has, has been for several decades, and a self-admitted working actor in order to support his himself and his family. So... Uh, and filmography is therefore extensive, but not filled with gems throughout. But uh, regardless, he's an integral part of several decades of classic Hong Kong cinema. And when Anthony is on, either, either as a Category 3 psycho or in more subtle roles he is, uh, that he's clearly more comfortable with, there are few that rival this skill that we uh, see every now and again. Uh, Anthony was born to an Australian father and Chinese mother. He joined ATV's acting training program in the 80s, uh, early 80s I believe, and later enrolled in the Hong Kong Academy for Performing Arts. As he said on the commentary for Fontal Story, uh, after the ATV program, he studied real acting. <laughs> 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 uh, he was, at this earlier stage of his career, considered more Western based on his look, despite not speaking much English, actually. But his features has over the year grown more Chinese, so to say, or people aren't that mean anymore. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, he debuted in the Shaw Brothers drama My Name Ain't Susie from 1985, uh, which starred Pat Ha. And Wong gradually began building his legacy. Uh, and we jump really to 1992 when he got more notice. Uh, he got notice for his villainous personas and many people, many people know him for that. But in 1992, he uh, was the villain in John Woo's Hard Boiled. He uh, went on to win, again, the Hong Kong Film Award for Best Actor in the Untold Story. He was the mute warrior carrying a kick-ass flying guillotine in the heroic trio. Um, was it the same year or at least uh, around the same time? His head was actually shaved already for heroic trio, so he came into the Untold Story kind of looking like that, but that informed the character look for the Untold Story. Uh, so... Uh, he was also, as we covered last episode, uh, the uh, god Wudong who consumed sex slaves in Erotic Ghost Story 2. Speaking of different looks for Anthony Wong, shaved head and uh, and uh, made up to be a, a god in Erotic yeah. Ghost Story 2. Uh, again, he is clearly more comfortable in Herman Yao's movies. Uh, some of Wong's most memorable work uh, then and now is under the direction of his best friend, Herman Yao. They, they really are. I mean, ranging from The Untold Story to Taxi Hunter, which is uh, a vigilante thriller that is really, really underrated. A copy image, very funny. Ebola syndrome, uh, that's pretty disgusting. <laughs> <laughs> and to fairly recently, I mean, it's a few years old now, to a laughing gore turning point. Uh, the Wong is uh, on when being directed by Herman most of the time. He continues to work extensively and uh, really did, especially after getting sick in the late 90s. He was forced to go on this uh, steroid treatment that made him gain weight. And uh, uh, But uh, while working so extensively to like, probably pay medical bills uh, uh, and support his family, one of the most iconic roles came at this time in 1998, and that was in Beast Cops for directors Gordon Chan and Dante Lam. And uh, Anthony Wong starred as a corrupt cop uh, alongside Michael Wong. And... Uh, and a year after, uh, he appeared in the Johnny Toe directed the mission. So, and that is a another quoted favorite of uh, of Wong's. That's definitely. So, despite being pudgy at that time, if you will, you know, it uh, it didn't inform you know that these cops uh, 
performance, but uh, that happened during that era regardless. So, um, and uh, it's a it's a brilliant one. Uh, the new millennium has meant more international exposure through his award-winning performance in the Infernal Affairs trilogy. I think he won for the first one. He appeared in uh, somewhat of a noticeable role, I believe. I haven't seen it in The Painted Veil with Naomi Watts and Edward Norton. And as one of the villains in The Mummy Tomb of the Dragon Emperor. That also had Jet Li and Michelle Yeoh. He continues to mix somewhat lesser performances, but that is that is something he can admit himself, that he does stuff for money. And he mixes that with acclaimed performances and even voice work for animated movies, as he is one of the returning voices in the McDull movies, playing the Western principal, I believe. And he's known to be very outspoken about movies, directors and fellow actors. And, uh, Miles Wood's book, Cine East, uh, it talks with Simon Yam at one point, and Simon Yam describes Anthony Wong as a very angry man. <laughs> at some point, anyway. Uh, I don't anyway. doubt it. Uh, he has turned up at the Hong Kong Film Awards as Freddy Krueger. Anthony Wong, that is. <laughs> he plays or played in a local Hong Kong punk rock band. And um, more widely, I mean, in regards to his outspoken uh, nature and his honesty. He uh, didn't really get along with John Woo when doing Hardboiled, but I always took that as honest uh, opinion and not about stirring up trouble. Uh, Wong mostly says that John Woo doesn't know what acting is, and uh, and he quoted an incident on set where they couldn't communicate with each other, essentially. So, you know, obviously that's fine. He didn't say he was an asshole or anything. He just said that I, I don't think he knows what acting is, and that didn't work. Uh, mm. For me and our relationship didn't work. Uh, uh, therefore, in that movie, I mean, the, he, he's he's fine in Hardboiled, but it's not an iconic Anthony Wong role. It's just the most widely seen, really, uh, aside from Infernal Affairs. I used to never recognize him in the movie. You know, just, really? he he seemed so different than everything else I'd ever seen him with. Of course, he also was like super like thin compared to his later work, but mm-hmm. just didn't look like Anthony. <laughs> uh, Anthony speaks in an interview with Hong Kong Cinemagic, uh, the website Hong Kong Cinemagic, that falling into acting was kind of an accident and he essentially never made career plans. He just went with the flow and lived in the now, kind of. And that, that included his two-movie directing tour of duty with New Tenant and Top Banana Club. Two very odd movies. Very <laughs> odd movies. I mean, they're worth a watch, but they're very odd. Um, don't think you're going to come away with like a clear... Ah, I knew what was going on there. Wow. But they're odd, but also just weird. Uh, It seems like uh, they're inside jokes with his friends, almost. Uh, Especially the latter, Top Banana Club. New Tenant is borderline surreal at points. Very low-budget movies, but uh, do check them out uh, if you fancy fancy Anthony Wong um, as a director, if you would. And Anthony Wong continues this um, uh, opinion that he is a working actor and goes with the flow, and he never considers himself a star. To Hong Kong Legends, he said in an interview for the Beast Cops DVD, correctly so, that I'm not a star. Bruce Lee was a star. And, nice. uh, and, and it's about charisma. And, and he's, he's, very, he's very right in that regard. Uh, mm. Any general notes on uh, Anthony Wong now, now that you do recognize him in uh, 2013? <laughs> well, you know, even going back now, you know, I want to watch that. He looks just looks so different in that damn movie. But, uh, 
No, Anthony Wong. I mean, what else can you really say about the guy? If you've seen probably a handful of Hong Kong films, there's a very good possibility that you've seen something he's in. Mm-hmm. Now, even up until you know this modern day, hell, if you've seen Mummy, Tomb of the Dragon Emperor, you've seen uh, something that he's in, mm-hmm. and uh, you know he's a fantastic actor, and he's completely he gives everything in uh, the untold story, you know, in particular. Um, I was listening last night to a little bit of his commentary track, and you know, you you kind of get for this movie. Uh, what uh, DVD release uh, with the commentary tracks? That would be the U.S. Tai Seng DVD. Okay, the Tai Seng disc. Yeah, there's a commentary track with Herman Yao, and then a commentary track with uh, Anthony Wong, and uh, the Anthony Wong one's slightly more lively, and. Uh, yeah, he does. He he exhibits like a lot of the type of behaviors and stuff, and just like that you were mentioning. And he says uh, at one point he's like, basically he th- believes he was gifted kind of the award. It sounds like mm-hmm. uh, that it was basically just their w- way of uh, playing politics and like uh, showing that they're more open to you know different types of cinema or something like that. You know. Mm-hmm. Which there may be some truth in that, but he did deserve the award, you know. I mean, you don't likely. need to go. You don't need to go gaga over awards all the time. I think he like. Right. He, he's appreci- He appreciates it, but doesn't you know go all James Cameron on us. You know, I'm on top of the world. <laughs> <laughs> I am a master of my craft. But uh, yeah. So yeah, just uh, interesting stuff, you know, in that commentary track and. I don't think he's a bitter man or the angriest man in Hong Kong or anything like that, but he's just an honest guy. Mm. That's yeah. always nice. And and has a very, like, um, not a peculiar sense of humor, but what mm-hmm. he finds funny, you don't always catch on to. Necessarily. Yeah. Uh, I mean, he does criticize, uh, but not in a like a harsh way. He, he talks about briefly about Emily Kwan in the movie, who plays the female <laughs> cop, and, and he said that they went to the same uh, acting program together, and he says that he doesn't like her in this movie. It's too forced. Yeah. It's not funny. Exactly. But it's not like he's saying, like, oh, my gosh, she should go and die. She's not talented. <laughs> I believe, like, I actually wrote down the quote because I laughed at it. Yeah. He's, he's, like, watching uh, a scene with Emily Kwan. He's like, this girl trying to be funny. Not funny at all. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. There you go. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Uh, okay, moving on to the director, Herman Yao. One of the hardest working directors in the industry. We, we got the hardest working director and the hardest working actor, really. Uh, the recognizable Herman. Um, he, you know, he still has his long hair and often wears a band t- heavy metal band t-shirts and photos and what have you. And I mean, he's just, uh, he, he, he's, he's who he is. He, he isn't like a, 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 in the industry to appear glamorous or anything. You know, he's a, he's a, he's a music fan as well. And uh, he studied film between 1981 and 1984 and divided his time subsequently between filmmaking and music. He was also writing film columns as a freelance writer, getting music video gigs before he debuted in 1987 as a director with no regret. But he has also logged several gigs as a cinematographer on movies such as Triads the Inside Story, Sentence to Hang, which we covered for this show, 20-something, and uh, post-millennium he's worked on Legend of Zoo for Choi Hawk, so he does big big movies as well, he did uh, Seven Swords um, a few years later and even um, uh, the uh, gay drama Permanent Residence for director Scud 
which is a more recent movie. Uh, he's known for his gory Category 3 movies in the West, so, such as The Untold Story and the partial parody of it, Ebola Syndrome. Uh, but Herman, um, especially this is evident when working a lot with his best friend Anthony Wong, is way more versatile than giving credit for it. He's directed in every conceivable genre and is a movie-making machine, still. Uh, even more nowadays, uh, to be really honest. Uh, uh, therefore, he logs, just like Anthony, uh, tolerable to even intolerable work. And uh, Because you, you go into movies, you try your best. If it doesn't work, fine, move on. You know, uh, it, so, Sometimes the the, you don't you don't have uh, you don't have the best um, you know uh, plane chips in front of you if you will, uh, which is partially his fault you, you could say. But uh, dating death, for instance, is not necessarily a Herman Yao movie you need to seek out. Just a horror horror movie with for some young people that I don't recognize, and that's it. Uh, but uh, the tolerable and highs in his filmography are the likes of the effective vigilante thriller Taxi Hunter with Anthony Wong. Not a category three movie actually, but um pretty effective and um and uh, and, and nasty in its own way. The John Rabenda Walk In was very, very good. That it's just a hard movie to describe to so just look up Walk In with Danny Lee. He directed the acclaimed, highly acclaimed even social drama from the Queen to the Chief Executive in two thousand and one. And lately uh, movies such as the affecting ghost drama the first seventh night as well as adding to the canon of Ip Man movies with The Legend is Born, Ip Man and the sequel that is uh, at the time of recording uh, coming out shortly anyway, I think. It's called Ip Man Final Fight. And, uh, and in brief, I mean, um, did you see his Ip Man movie anyway? Mm -hmm. Was it tolerable? Yeah. Uh, yeah, Legend is Born. It was, uh, it was decent, you know, nothing absolutely spectacular or anything like that, kind of running by the conventions but a uh, decent little movie and you know aside from that i've just seen untold story and ebola syndrome uh taxi hunter man it seems really familiar but uh if there is a chance that i've seen it it was probably 10 years ago so mm -hmm. there's no telling but he's a filmmaker that like like you said i mean going through his filmography you do you see every single genre that you can possibly think of you know, comedies, uh, serious, serious film, and then these crazy, wild exploitation movies. Uh, yeah, he's a bit all over the map, and uh, somebody who'd be, you know, it'd be interesting to go through his films and see if there's any kind of, like, uh, anything that ties them together, you know, as far as, like, because if you watch these movies versus Ip Man, of course, it's just dramatically different in every possible way. Mm. But it, it'd be fun to see if there's any kind of, like, growth along his filmography I, I think that would be what you would find out um, mm -hmm. uh, but uh, Fred otherwise no I mean he just tries to be a good filmmaker regardless of the genre he works in he's and it uh, works very well with low budgets uh, as well mm -hmm. he's just kind of a journeyman you know I guess hmm. And and uh, I know when I spoke to Mike Leader about it um, like a year or two ago, he said Herman has always got the right attitude, uh, and is clearly you know a good character uh, based on that, and, and not full of himself and what have you. So, and and, and it comes off in his work, you know, uh, being such a workhorse. So, uh, additionally, he has formed movie magazines, movie magazines. He has written books and gotten acclaim as this alternative director, but also acclaimed by a big award jurors as well. And has worked as a producer. He produced Francis Um's acclaimed debut as director called 9413. 
and uh, it's also produced several action movies for director Dennis Law, including Fatal Contact and Fatal Move, which I believe he, um, he was the cinematographer on those as well. So uh, uh, a bit more Herman exposure, if you will, globally. Uh, okay, but back to Untold Story, the Untold Story. Um, as always, first a short opinion, Joshua. I think this is a rewatch for you, if I'm not mistaken. But uh, mm-hmm. let, let's say your quick first fresh opinion of the movie. Yeah, uh, you know, I think I mentioned it to you probably on Facebook or whatever. You know, this is a rewatch for me. And, uh, you know, I have kind of a sordid history with the untold story. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> when first, when I, I first watched on it once, <laughs> I urinated on the DVD. Had to buy a new one. But no, uh, yeah, I first saw uh, the Untold Story probably the early two thousands at some point. I, I can't remember what year, but it was uh, during like my initial like rebirth into cinema. You know that that point where you find out, oh shit, there's a lot of like really obscure movies out there. I must find them all. And uh, at that point, I was going through a lot of gore and stuff, you know, a lot of Lucio Fulci, you know, Diodato, and, you know, et cetera, et cetera, German splatter movies, whatever, you know. So I was going through all that and just trying to find the most disturbing movies I possibly could, and I kept hearing about the untold story. You know, it, it was that one movie from Hong Kong that everybody kind of promoted, like, oh, my God, this is the most, you know, effed up thing you're ever going to see, da 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 So mm. I sat there going into it basically expecting uh cannibal holocaust i guess <laughs> yeah you know, that's that's kind of what i went into it expecting and uh with those expectations i walked out a bit disappointed you know mm. uh it's like oh it's really not that gory da-da. but uh and then the comedy in it you know it was like giving me flashbacks to last house on the left <laughs> where the, com- the comedy is so broad while the you know rest of the material is so dark and you know it just pushed me around i just wasn't into it you know but uh you know i've rewatched it since then and going into it this time you know it, it really it clicked a lot more for me now you know it does it's it's there it's a movie i think about more about ideas than actual uh, i mean it does show you a lot but Ultimately, it's a lot more about, you know, putting yourself in the place of the characters, and that's where the disturbing content mostly comes from, mm. you know, allowing yourself to be a little bit more human and seeing how inhuman, you know, the activities on the screen are. Mm. And uh, I was a bit more into it and definitely got a lot more out of it this time because of that. All right, well, we'll stop you right there and uh, talk you some more about that. Uh, for for me... Um... I mean, it's the most known, I should state, out of these true-life crime movies at this time. Much thanks to the Western exposure, like the Tyson DVD. They had a video out as well, and the Laserdisc. Uh, And it's, you know, it creates waves, therefore, and it's remembered for some of its content. And and, uh, it should be quoted as one of the top three true-life crime movies. But I, I don't agree with, like, the most... Uh, that that hype that was out there, if you will, right. like the most fucked up Hong Kong movie ever, because you, you do kind of like, yeah, that wasn't too bad. Uh, but uh, it, it is effective. I mean, uh, tr- true life crime in this case means that I think it's based on a fair number of facts uh, rather than taking loosely out of sad events in the newspaper. Uh, but as is it one of the best true life crime movies? Though no, no, no. I mean, I, I still feel Doctor Lamb. And yeah. uh, and Clarence Fox remains of a woman is uh, 
you know, reigns supreme. But Antal's story is up there and something I would point towards as... Um, and and even Doctor Lamb has comedies. I mean, it's not easy to avoid comedy in this in these movies. Uh, so uh, so do do try it out. I still like it. It's still effective and all of that. So I, I mean, it's also I think it's gained a reputation, but for for the Hong Kong filmmakers, I bet this was just another movie to make uh, for the hardworking men, uh, knowing that category three cinema could be made. You could push. Uh, within them and uh, and uh, again they, this collaboration between Herman Yao and Anthony Wong worked once more I think it's one of the early, their earlier collaborations but uh, it, it's still effective when they get together they seem to click and all of that so um, and, and, and the movie doesn't waste any time either I mean uh, the, the step printing opening in this uh, like blurry <laughs> slow motion uh, yeah. it, it certainly s- sets up that Anthony Wong's character is not someone who murders out of panic, but rather he in calculated mode as uh, he uh, he sets fire to James Ha over a gambling debt. And uh, James Ha is a stuntman and I believe did that fire stunt. That looks mighty scary because uh, he, he's, li- he's lying on the floor flaming about and uh, Anthony Wong, I think it's uh, actually Anthony as well, throws the matches on on to James and uh, he's uh, almost, you know, completely covered in flames. I mean, uh, that's scary, but it also sets up the character as, uh, you know, he um, he doesn't hesitate. Uh, it, this character acts like madmen do, like psychopaths do in uh, what they perceive as in uh, normal ways. Yeah. You know what I mean? So uh, it's... Uh, it, it, is that something to get, that gets to you, by the way, when it's... when the when the stunts are performed like this, when it seems like real peril. I mean, it gets to me like, oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> you start to wonder when that scene's going to cut away. Yeah, know? it does look like real peril, but uh, mm-hmm. does that affect you at all? Because it connects to reality a little bit more. Yeah, yeah, it starts to blur the lines, you know, and you don't, you don't really want to see anybody get hurt, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, whenever you see those stunts that look like, uh, shit, did that go already or whatever, it's yeah. it creates a brief moment in your head where you're like, uh, well, what did I just see? You mm. know, he he does he, he did survive it. He uh, he's yeah. been in other movies. He, he's a stuntman throughout the movie. I believe he is the stunt double of Anthony Wong when Anthony Wong is pulled down from the prison bunk bed, hits a oh. bed on the way down, and then. Uh, and uh, he hits the floor. It looks like James Ha, and uh, but uh, he he hides his face well. Face with, yeah, with that uh, shirt over his face at that scene. Yeah, it was a stuntman as well. I don't know if that was James Ha, but uh, Anthony says that uh, nah, <laughs> that wasn't me. <laughs> that didn't need to be me. Obviously, no need for me to be in there. Uh, but they, on the true life crime thing, I mean, this uh, flashback uh, that opens the film starts in it's seventy eight, seventy nine. It cuts to Macau in nineteen eighty six, and the, this is when the story took place. And Macau, by the way, is one of the two special administrative regions of the People's Republic of China, the other being Hong Kong. It uh, lies on uh, the western side of the Pearl River Delta, across Hong Kong to the east and is bordered by the Guangdong province to the north and and facing the South China Sea to the east and south. I mean, it's a it's, it's an island. Uh, the territory's economy is heavily dependent on gambling and tourism. Uh, you see that in movies that they're gambling. They go to Macau to gamble because it's legal there. So they, they do make uh, they make a buck on gambling over in Macau. 
but uh, they also have manufacturing of uh, some kind and it is a form of Portuguese colony which is why you see in this movie and other movies uh, signs that are in Portuguese and Chinese so it's like Polizia and uh, what have you um, yeah uh, and, and it has a distinct um, uh, distinct look as well. The architecture is uh, very distinctly um, European in feel. Uh, you know, um, in the mood for love, or one cow is in the mood for love shot in Macau, and uh, it's also timeless. Uh, many sections of Macau, so it's. Uh, uh, but they didn't shoot a lot in Macau. They were there for one day for this movie. Uh, one presum- day. Yeah, Jeez. presumably some exteriors, and then they went back to Hong Kong. Yeah. And and, and on the true story, by the way, I couldn't find. Um, I think, well, well, I can't confirm that the real-life killer was Wong Chihang, but I couldn't find any additional resource beyond the movie. But the beats, in my opinion, are very clear in the movie, and it seems like it covers the beats of the real story, um, you know, without exaggerating yeah. it. It seems very like, this is probably what happened, and it was, and it comes off as quite horrible, and, uh, and, and therefore... And, and I, I guess I got a question to you in, in general. When, when real-life movies, uh, crime movies are made, do, do you think it's wise, or is it uh, on a case-to-case basis that it's wise, to go for it in terms of violence and not shy away from it? Or you know, do you have any thoughts on that? Because this movie doesn't shy away from what uh, possibly right. happened. You know, it's a case-by-case basis, I guess, Uh you know, I'm never one to say, you know, tone down the violence or anything like that. You know, some certain movies that would absolutely call for it. I think, uh, like, uh, Zodiac, you know, the, yeah. uh, you know, I believe David Fincher in this name. Uh, I believe the film by him, I believe that movie absolutely called for that scene where the gentleman's, like, stabbed in the back and stuff. Mm. It's horrifying. And it really, early on, gave you an indication of, you know, okay, this was real life. This was how horrible it was. You know, this is why this guy has to be caught. Does a whole lot, you know, for the audience and stuff. Mm. Uh, the untold story, though, is just pure exploitation. Mm. Uh, I believe that. But at the same time, well, that's got its own built-in audience as well. Mm. You know, you can't really argue against it. You know, but like our, our scenes where Anthony Wong urinates on his own hand in order to wash his, the blood off of his hands or whatever, are those scenes completely necessary? Probably not. But I mean, uh, that, that that is probably a spur of the moment. Uh, you know, I think they did yeah. in the moment. Uh, but but they aren't softening the blow up in, in general in terms of uh, the violence and all that because kids get it in this movie oh, and. and and, and visibly so, uh, uh, but 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 it's interesting that that you mentioned exploitation because that connects also to commercialism and uh, uh, the the sides of this movie is the different sides of this this movie is uh, very evident with uh, a comedy side when the cops are involved trying to solve the case and and, and a very dark very much darker side when dealing with the flashback uh, to what Anthony Wong did and his current going on so that's uh, the cops closing on him and and it's mentioned that I mean D- Danny Lee was the executive producer of this and he brought the movie to Harmony Hour and all of that and it, it's kind of alluded to that he had a hand in directing uh, steering the comedy even if he didn't direct the comedy mm-hmm. and also kind of uh, uh, voicing his opinion that, uh, and this is horrible, but both Herman Yao and Anthony Wong say this, that uh, Danny Lee insisted on the rape scene because that's commercial. Uh, m- men like that, you know, and uh, and 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 they're probably right. I mean, uh, and, and uh, the, the rape 
fits in terms of the mood. It's not a funny rape, uh, but no. the comedy. I, I I dislike it and like it at the same time, but uh, and I, I have a big big old paragraph on the comedy because you you have experience with Hong Kong comedy after seeing so many hundreds of Hong Kong comedies. But g- give me your take now that you've seen it again. The Untold Story is the comedy at all bearable, I'm or, or is it a completely offensive part of the movie that should have been out? Well, you know, hey, it's completely offensive, I'm sure, to, like, the, you know, people who survived this entire ordeal. But the one thing that I think I'd like about the comedy would be uh, Danny Lee's character. I think it's, like, such an absurd thing to have this cop who's, like, basically a Mac Daddy or whatever in the midst of this, you know, really dark and brutal movie. I, I find it slightly just... It's in kind of insane to sit there and they go between that, you know, Anthony Wong, you know, pissing on his own hands, uh, using chopsticks to do horrible, horrible things. And then you go over here to Danny Lee and like every scene he's showing up with some, you know, five foot ten, six foot tall, hot chick or whatever. Prostitutes. Yeah, prostitutes, of course, you know, (laughs) because he's a police officer. That's what he'd do. And, uh... You know, he's just constantly popping in, and it's almost like I wrote down that, like, every scene he's in is almost, like, seems as if it's a cameo. Mm -hmm. You know, like, this would be a cameo in another movie. Oh, look, there's Danny Lee being funny with a uh, prostitute. (laughs) You know, that, but he's, like, in the movie, uh, you know, a much larger percentage than that. But it just, every time he walks on set, it's like, you know... Oh look! Here comes the star. There's Danny Lee. Oh look at the chick. What's up? You know, it's it's something about that. You know, I find slightly just humorous and insane. <laughs> but other than that, you know, I mean, yeah, it's very, it's still very kind of jarring to go between these two different, you know, completely different styles. And then, you know, there's a lot of TNA jokes. Oh look at her bus or whatever, and mm. you know. Well, 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 well. Here's the thing, though. They, they, these are Macau cops, and uh, mm-hmm. and 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 here's where they took liberty. Yeah, I mean, uh, I've seen. By, by the way, <laughs> I would I, say, yeah. yeah. I mean, I mean, I, again, I've seen dopey comedies in Hong Kong movies uh, before, and I've seen it clashing with a serious aura. Uh, category three or not? I mean, Doctor Lamb springs to mind uh, for the category three uh, aspect. Uh, although it's more of a dark, uh, at times more dark comedy, but also broad. Uh, but, but for Anton's story, it's such a silly and low inclusion that it becomes kind of genius because the gear is somewhat higher. Uh, they don't ease us into the comedy. There, you know, it, it's it, there. It is there. These are the characters, and I'll, I'll describe a little bit more about that. Uh, I mean, they enjoyed the freedom really, despite being a bit like, uh, yeah, we wanted to lighten up the movie, as Hermie Yao says. I think they enjoyed the freedom just to be. They wanted to be really kind of mean spirited about it. Like these are Macau cops. Yeah, fuck up. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, uh, Danny Lee is here and his regular o- OCTB guys, organized crime and trial bureau guys, uh, that often was cast alongside him. You know, Parkman Wong, Eric Kay. Uh, I mean, since they are no longer Hong Kong cops, including Danny Lee and Macau cops, instead, this newly won freedom just made them say, now fuck them, ha ha ha, fuck them, ha ha ha, show that higher-ups have new prostitutes every day, ha 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 ha, they're horny sexist pigs, uh, sexist pigs and incompetent, ha ha ha, fuck them. 
they're constantly wanting a whorehouse to open up in Macau. Yeah, exactly. And they arrive lazy at the at the crime scene, and they're tired, they're completely unprofessional. Ha ha ha! We're making funny jokes here, and we make fun of the female corpse lack of breasts because she does she doesn't look female as much. Ha ha ha! Oh, we're so funny. But 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 you know what I mean with the gear being increased. I mean they're they're so on. And that it's almost like, um, Herman Yao, can you step out for a minute while we do a couple of things? But, oh, okay, and then Danny Lee went in and directed. And it is interesting also that uh, Danny Lee's um, uh, aura is in the movie in terms of uh, how to uh, dish out the justice and uh, interrogate. Because there, there are a lot of beatings of Anthony Wong in this movie. To the point where, uh, and, and I'm wondering her, if Herman had some input on this, to the point where... It, it it actually comes off as a bit of a criticism against police violence because uh, they they really go at Anthony Wong who comes off a little bit as a victim, but yeah. but obviously we know for a fact that uh, he's uh, he's Satan despite you know what I mean. Yeah, in the uh, commentary track, uh, I forget the critic who was uh, sitting there co-hosting it. Miles with Wood is his name. Miles Wood, yeah, he kind of brought that up like he's like during the last one. He's like. You know, at this point, your character kind of starts to come across as a victim, and Anthony Wong didn't really give any kind of answer to that. But, uh, yeah, I mean, you really get that feeling. That was probably something else that threw me off upon first viewing. I remember slightly being like, damn, you know, how long is this going on? Because mm. it does, he goes from being, well, I probably shouldn't spoil it or nothing, but, yeah, the, the multiple factions start getting their uh, jabs in on Anthony Wong's mm. character. But um, yeah, it's it's again the comedy is really obnoxious, but kind of winning because it's so facepalm inducing. No one's doing <laughs> anything. They're not doing anything. <laughs> no, they're terrible cops. Yeah. But but when seeing the opportunity to make themselves look good and look mm. at ass, they do. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, I mean, uh, okay, f- fine. I do enjoy, but I do realize that it clashes with uh, clashes with it all. Absolutely. So, uh, but uh, uh, going back to Anthony Wong, uh, again, I've seen the movie like two times before, but um, wasn't fully lodged in my memory and all of that. I noticed his initial acting is kind of like very over the top with very, like, mm. eyes, eyes popping out. God, his almost. eyes are like so freaking wide in this movie. Mm. Yeah. But it evens out there uh, and or becomes really effective over time and scary as well. So I was just worried during those initial stages. But, but I guess that's a question too. Do you think um, uh, do you think it's too much what he's doing? Um, um, you know, I don't know. I think he saves it in the fact that his character goes in like kind of so many different places. But yeah, during the introduction when he's got like you know when those glasses are sitting there making his eyes seem like three times as big and mm-hmm. he's sitting there you know jumping at every single little thing or whatever you know there's a sequence when uh i believe uh i forget pearl the character pearl the uh his little assistant female assistant at the yeah. uh, barbecue place there's a sequence where she's kind of talking to the cops and then anthony wong's character walks up and like interjects between the two of them and oh you know whatever and he gets him to walk along his way but like the second like they're immediately out of frame. Anthony Wong just like does this, you know, 180 and turns to her with like his eyes or whatever. And it's just like one of the things where it's like, mm-hmm. wow, damn, uh, yeah, that was pretty uh, exaggerated. And that's the kind of sort of acting he does at the 
during the introduction up until you know i guess is it a spoiler to say that he goes to jail uh, no, not really. I mean, uh, we should state that they, they, they did catch him for real. And he actually, um, you know, I, I don't care if we spoil this because we're going to do it with the rapist as well. They, they, this is a true life crime. He apparently killed himself in prison before his, uh, he was given uh, his uh, sentence. So, Yeah, but d- during the prison se- uh, sequence, it starts to, like, the character really starts to evolve. And, you know, you see him at his lows and it, like, becomes something different. And, you know, you can definitely see... In comparison to probably what a lot of uh, Hong Kong films were at the time, he was kind of doing something a little bit uh, more out there, a little bit more outlandish, something a little mm-hmm. different. Yeah, you know? it's um, it works for me. Uh, all the range of emotions he goes through it was only those initial parts where I was worried, like, oh man, am I as a 2013 viewer going to feel this is too over the top? But uh, no, it actually it feels even throughout and scary throughout, and uh, and and on that. Sp- a restaurant that is set in Macau. It's actually a restaurant in Hong Kong, a standing restaurant with select decoration to connect it to Macau. But it, it works because it is a kind of a village, grungy little village restaurant uh, yeah. that they shot at. Uh, so, so they get good usage of um, of that location and um, and um, and could fool us into thinking it's Macau. And even Hong Kong audiences thought some of the, of the Hong Kong locations were uh, Macau locations um, in the movie. Um, was actually shot there but as a matter of fact not um you know uh, his first big murder is uh, is uh, kind of interesting it's uh, where he kills off the newly hired kind of assistants that uh, see his yeah. che- see his cheese that at mahjong and and is going to expose him and it's funny that uh, actually because he has some black comedy here that uh, anthony Wong's character improvises uh, the murder he uses whatever's near him and so he, he first sticks that little uh, receipt uh, holder uh, into his eye, <laughs> and and then smashes brutal. his. Yeah, that that is brutal actually. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's um, it's one of those uh, yeah, yeah, a receipt holder that you can uh, puncture pu- mm-hmm. uh, puncture paper with, if you will. But but also uses this uh, ladle, ladle. And to, yeah, to to smash the guy's head in with, and uh, it, it's a uh, it's it may be cal- uh, very you know not panicky about this when it goes into murder it's murder spree what have you but in this case he uses like the environment to uh, to to take out him and so the, the, the and also the black comedy in this is that um, uh, the guy he murdered uh, has a grip on his leg uh, yeah. and, uh, and he can't let and he can't uh, let go of that grip so you have to chop the the the, ha- the arm off and uh, and then and then that goes into the whole uh, chopping up chopping oh, yeah. up of the body sequence that it's clever in a way because they do have a big uh, build, uh, a big body that they built mm-hmm. that they can saw into or what have you, rather than the actor lying there and, and not uh, trying to breathe. But p- partly they do have an actor there because, uh, you know, when Anthony Wong like um, uh, have, turn, turns him over mm-hmm. and uh, then dashes his buns with the yeah. big, uh, with the big knife, th- th- that is an actual that. act. Yeah, yeah. I was just gonna mention yeah that scene where he slaps the buns kind of with like knife or whatever, just the blood smeared all over the body is just you can tell that it's a real person and it's just it's pretty nasty looking but then they do it off screen all of the cutting oh, yeah. which looks good i mean he wasn't doing anything anthony wong here and was just uh, or acting against anything he was just handed the body parts um yeah uh, from underneath the frame but it looks like you know it's uh, 
they, they didn't have that much of a budget to do a whole you know graphic yeah. YouTube Fulci scene with him carving into the body and what have you uh, so that's uh, that's all uh, that's all good and um, uh, s- subsequently he, he does you know that, that that was the thing with the crime as well he he, uh, he ground uh, he ground down the uh, human meat and put it into barbecue pork buns and sold them at the restaurant and uh, this is obviously uh, ha- the black comedy here uh, connects uh, to the cops as well. Kind of the only really successful part of the movie because eventually the cops uh, get to eat some of these delicious barbecue pork buns. And, 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 Her- and Herman shoots it in this gleeful way like they're almost can- cannibals uh, devouring it, you know. And uh, I don't, I don't know, for some reason I like the uh, Danny Lee line where uh, Danny Lee walks up and someone hands him one of these barbecue pork buns. He's like, barbecue pork buns? I thought they were chicken buns. I never eat barbecue pork buns. You never know what's in the filling. I'm like, (laughs) (laughs) But I did like it. I laughed. I can't help it. I, I, I bet Danny Lee was in charge of that story beat because uh, no 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 I'm I'm the inspector I, I can't possibly I can't possibly do this my 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 dorky stupid uh, stupid men that I'm in charge of they they will eat it yeah the ones who do all the work while I, I'm out you know with prostitutes yeah one advantage yeah, actually I don't know what version you saw back in the day but one advantage of this version is that um, that we watched on the Tyson DVDs that is uncut mm-hmm. um. This essentially unrated. Uh, the category three version was actually cut in several places to get that rating. Uh, but w- uh, you can see that on the Tyson DVD, some uh, jumps in the print uh, where possible cuts were. Uh, which uh, I appreciate Tyson going to the lengths of uh, sourcing uh, or putting together an uncut uh, print. Uh, I have so- a, a City Connection, I think it was, DVD. Mm-hmm. Is that one uh, uncut? Or it it is. It's, it's actually not letterbox though, uh, which is why I prefer the Tai Seng DVD. But the City Connection DVD is actually uncut as well. Uh, which they could do on home video, uh, extend the movies, uh, and, and insert the violence again and what have you. Uh, but but the roughest the, one of the scenes that got the cut is of course uh, the rape scene in some places. I mean it's still there, yeah. but s- some stuff is uh, taken out of it. And uh, I mean if this is commercial stuff that audiences like, I mean what a horrible fucking audience. <laughs> <laughs> Very true. Because this is degrading and harsh stuff. You know Julie Lee's on board obviously, and uh, she 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 the fear is there, but you know she. Anthony like rips off her panties and stuffs them down her yeah. mouth. Yeah, and and I mean, uh, it's almost like, uh, and yeah, also when he uh, uh, pours the, like the hot water uh, from the tap hands. onto her hands. Yeah, yeah, scald her hands and come out all red and everything. Yeah, mm. very hey. brutal scene. It's a very brutal scene. I mean, and he uses chopsticks uh, very, uh, <sighs> n- not graphically rather than creatively. Uh, it seems almost like pain is priority for this character rather than rape, um, mm-hmm. to some right. extent, because he bashes her head in uh, onto the walls and stuff like that. So, uh, but but if Danny Lee insisted this was a commercial uh, thing, maybe audiences actually went to the movie to see this because they heard there was a good rape scene in there. But what a horrible audience! Horrible. <laughs> Oh, that guy love this. Believe yeah. me, yeah. Just oh, yeah, do the thing with the chopsticks. Oh, that's great. I, I mean, as a dark scene, 
in the movie like with really horrible CGI comes uh, it it does its thing very well but if it's like a cheap commercial thing to insert like to get the audiences in uh, let's do something horrible yeah. uh, that that makes me uncomfortable it's uh yeah it's one of those it's a talking point after the movie you're going to mention the chopsticks and such you know but uh I, yeah I, I don't know i mean if you're just looking to present nudity or whatever, I'm sure there's easier ways to get it in there. Uh, but as far as like creating something that's definitely going to solidify your movie as a nasty one, I mean, you can't do much better than that. Mm. Uh, rounding off some of the... We won't go into the entire movie, obviously, but uh, the, the prison scene um, where Anthony Wong gets beaten up left and right is a really physical showcase for Anthony. I mean, he, he vomits for real in... Uh, in in was it oh. yeah i mean he said in uh, you know he shing on like punches his stomach and he vomits a little bit and he said he ate some noodles uh shortly before they shot uh that scene so he could vomit up something Jeez. yes yeah, so, so anthony is in his own drool and snot and uh in, uh in 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 a very gritty setting what have you because they, they put him into jail while they uh fill in the blanks in the case and what, what have you uh, but did you at all? Did you at any time feel sympathy for him, despite uh, knowing that again he's very much guilty and uh, and and, yeah. and you know Satan in human form? <laughs> well, you know <clears throat> that's kind of the tricky thing about it is that you do start to kind of feel some. I think you start to feel some kind of sympathy for him uh, because he's so vulnerable at this mm-hmm. point. You know, he's in there and. You know, there's these moments where he's like just leaning up against the wall, covered in bruises and filth and everything like that, and he's just kind of like psychologically, it seems to be, you know, damaged. You know, the cops have beat him at this point. He's been beaten unmercifully by these, uh, you know, other inmates. And he, at this point, we've only seen, you know, uh, a couple of deaths that he's done. You know, and they're rough, they're horrible, but. You know, we still have like 20 more minutes before we finally see just the how horrible of a person he is. If that had come before, then you know, chances are you'd be like, "Oh hell yeah, let that guy take it." But no, I mean, up until that point, you start to kind of feel a little bit of something for him. Mm. I think I, I think it's only natural to have some kind of a you know sympathy for that character, but he eventually just ruins all that whenever it shows what he did in the past yeah in the moment uh, kind uh-huh. of you, you you do feel that i agree and uh, but they never change his perception uh, further yeah. so. no um we won't go into too much details about the ending which is uh, i think is where the senses really went at the movie because the, the ending involves the flashback to yeah. the family we know he did kill uh, and, and the sequence is uh, is a large family, man, wife, yes. and like six of five or six kids. Yes. Uh, and this is not a sequence that says he did it. It's a sequence that shows he did it. Right. Uh, and it's not pretty. I mean, uh, ironically, uh, both Anthony and Herman says the uh, the kids were having fun, <laughs> but uh, but but they could cry on cue though. Yeah, he, he said they were talented actors. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I mean, it, it is the sequence that probably um, makes the movie, uh, you know, it, it's the one. You. 
Right. It's the this is the sequence that sat there and imprinted in everybody's mind. Like this is the most disturbing film ever made. You know mm-hmm. that that's where that stuff comes from, whether true or not. This sequence is kind of what gives the movie its reputation in that regard. Yeah, definitely. Uh, but um, you know, it's um, it's. This movie gets its rep via various sequences, including that one and, and the concept of uh, actually human meat being in pork buns. But uh, it's uh, the, the overall the overall execution is still quite solid. You remember the harsher stuff rather than the dopey stuff. Um, um, it's memorable, rough, bloody, and relentless. Spare no one type of cinema, especially uncut. Uh, which is why I urge people to try and look up the Tyseng DVD or the City Connection DVD, uh, and it still works. It's uh, Doctor Lamb, I think, is more effective, but uh, they, they are they are made out of the same kind of mold uh, that was popular at the time, and uh, and 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 it's up there. It still uh, it still works for me, and uh, it's uh, something I can rewatch uh, quite um, quite often, and nowadays be quite on board with the comedy as well, despite not really approving of it. <laughs> uh, any end notes otherwise I have some additional like trivia notes that I can run through really quickly uh, you know nothing really but other than Emily Kwan's hair is just ridiculous in this movie you know I, I don't did you notice that like looking at the back of her head like no. she has like these crazy it looks like two ducks feet or something on the back of her head I don't know why that caught my attention but yeah uh, Aside from that, nothing much. You know, I mean, you kind of nailed it. It's uh, it's a very dark movie. Uh, it, the, the comedy does kind of take you out of it at points, but I think uh, you know, an audience member who has seen a few you know Hong Kong comedies and kind of gets the broadness of it can you know hopefully overlook some of that and kind of see the you know dark territories that the movie goes in and appreciate that and kind of appreciate how it tries to push you know the limits of good or bad taste mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. definitely uh, yeah so it comes recommended some trivia notes and some s- stuff from the commentary I just picked up and I wanted to write um, uh, and share uh, first of all I appreciate when hard workers like Anthony Wong Chai Fat, Stephen Chow and uh, even Simon Yam all dubbed themselves in movies at this time uh, Anthony did in, in this case uh, and maybe it was an art that they were fast uh, they, they were doing fast after a while they could do it fast go into the studio and do their own dubbing uh, sufficiently or what have you so uh, I always appreciate that you, you get a familiarity factor going on there ja- Jackie didn't do it for instance he, he had someone else uh, dub his voice for many years so uh, Julie Lee plays the waitress as we talked about uh, she was in category 3 movies of this mainstream kind around this time such as this one, of course, uh, Love to Kill with Anthony Wong and Danny Lee again. Chinese Torture Chamber Story. She's the wife of Elvis Choi, who they have the flying kung fu sex fight in the Chinese Torture Chamber Story. That is uh, Julie Lee. Uh, she's in 1941 Hong Kong on Fire, but also became a filmmaker herself briefly. Uh, she co-directed Trilogy of Lust 1 and 2. And the, the former is notorious because it was shot as a hardcore porn film. Really? Okay, I was wondering, like, I was listening to the commentary track, and they were talking about her at the time, and uh, I remember Anthony Wong said something like, yeah, at this point, you know, she didn't seem crazy or anything, and I was like, what, what, what happened? So, yeah, okay, Trilogy of Lust. Yes, gotcha. only only two movies. Yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, uh, a trilogy of two movies. Yes. yes. Uh, the, so the Category 3 release of Trilogy of Last One was toned down considerably uh, because of this fact. And, and, it, and it was Julie Lee who was in these scenes. They're not uh, poor inserts or what have you. So, um, yeah, because I've seen the hardcore version as well. Uh, the movie was co-written by Logan Fai, who had a hand in quite a number of scripts during this heyday of Category 3 cinema, including on uh, Dr. Lamb, Love to Kill, Twist, and later Rape by an Angel 3, Sexual Fantasy of the Chief Executive. So uh, this was a frequent writer of these kind of things. Uh, willing or not, I don't know. <laughs> uh, ambient sounds are effective for score for these movies, uh, and it's no surprise that Jonathan Wong was the composer for this movie. Uh, he'd done like industrial-tinged ambient scores for Dr. Lamb, and subsequently Run and Kill, and Red to Kill for Billy Tang. Uh, so I was like, yeah, his um, choices in that regard. Uh, I'm, I'm also a big industrial fan, so I, I can get on board with these uh, ambient uh, noises and um, yeah, the ambience it provides. And uh, next to last note, some notes from the commentary tracks available on the Tyson DVD with uh, Herman Yao and Anthony Wong. Uh, again, Danny Lee brought the idea to the table. Uh, they shot uh, exteriors for one day in Macau. Uh, so effective in that regard because we, we have five or six exteriors that uh, are shown. So we, we get a good impression that uh, it is in Macau. Uh, for research, Herman Yao spoke to a prisoner who had apparently seen and interacted with the real Wong Chihang in prison. So a lot of the beats in the movie came from that, especially the um, details in the prison scene, uh, prison mm. scenes. Uh, Herman Yao says it was criticized at the time by critics for the, the extreme depiction of violence and censors were concerned about the, some of it because it was depicted with an aura of realism, like using everyday tools to murder a lot of people. Um, how many our defense the choice kind of to depict the cops uh, uh, the way he did for to, to lighten up the mood but uh, he also says kind of timid that well I, I did it to make the movie light but maybe it's also kind of true <laughs> so, so, <ooh. laughs> yeah uh, and, and it's so that they talk about the rape scene being audience pleasing but they don't sound cold when talking of it it's just their perspective I suppose so it's not like they were cheering on in the commentary like here's the commercial scene here's the commercial scene uh, so um, yeah and and, and I mean how many I was also criticized for making a way to a commercial movie because this is just sex and violence but uh, Herman like thought like no no I'm just trying to make a scary movie I'm not thinking about crass commercialism you know so uh, but it's easy to make that um, uh, to make that a target I suppose um, the the site was uh, the, the site the set was light even for certain killing scenes as we talked about and uh, it, the last scene was hard to do but the kids were uh, were having fun as Anthony said and they were not afraid of Anthony at all he tried to scare them but they were like hey you're funny <laughs> so um, yeah and Anthony alludes to Danny Lee actually directing the cop scenes which I I, I, I think that uh, could very much be true as well yeah. And finally, about the torture by uh, by the cops, you know, inter interrogating, Anthony, interrogating Anthony Wong. Hong Kong audiences necessarily don't see the cops different in that regard. They still regard them as like the heroes of the movie. Right. But in the West, we obviously react to, my God. Yeah, no, I mean, it, it gets kind of uh, brutal, you know, kind of, it's like the third time I've said that this 
But yeah, uh, it gets kind of like really rough, you know, and at times you're just like, wow, you know, shit, I would have confessed already, you know what I'm saying? If you had me doing all that, you know, I don't care if I did it or not, I'd be like, fuck yeah, I killed him, whatever. (laughs) (laughs) I'd have given you a good story about it too, but no, yeah, I mean, just a spoiler alert or whatever, there's a sequence near the end during uh, some of the rough interrogation where the, the nurse who, for some reason, she gets involved at this hospital that uh, Anthony Wong's character is being held at and, you know, starts giving him injections of, like, water underneath his skin, creating pockets of nasty, you know, water blisters. And, yeah. you know, just really nasty, you know. It's like, ah, jeez. I don't think I can no. handle it. Yeah, that, that, that was not necessarily something you saw in Danny Lee movies, that type of graphic mm-hmm. <laughs> torture. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah. And finally, one of the most, if not the most successful movie of Herman Yao's career is this one. Uh, this earned over 15 million Hong Kong dollars during, during its approximately three, three, four week run in May and June of 1993. Uh, okay, finally, on availability, we talked a little bit about it, but I want to summarize it for you. It's been released cut before as per the cinema print on, on Laserdisc, I believe. But the Hong Kong DVD by City Connection is uncut, although it's cropped to full screen. Uh, tai Seng's US release is letterboxed. It got a retranslation in the subtitle department, and uh, it got the dimensioned uh, uh, commentaries by Anthony Wong and Herman Yao, plus a slew of trailers. These are both out of print DVDs, so check for used mm. copies. Uh, I know there are used copies out there. Um, and torrents, if worse comes to us. There's actually also an Austrian DVD by Raptor, with the above extras, plus some additional extras made for that release, like restoration and dubbing featurette. Uh, but I heard the transfer is actually not necessarily better than uh, the Tai Seng DVD, so... Um, uh, but but that released by uh, by Raptor is English friendly. It's got uh, the English subtitles, and it also came in a limited edition box, including uh, that included chopsticks and oh, plastic man. barbecue pork buns. Oh, I want it. <laughs> <laughs> there's a YouTube video of it, like an unboxing thing. Uh-huh. So uh, yeah, we'll link to that in the show post. The unboxing of the untold story, um, uh, pork buns and chopped chopsticks box. Sweet. Uh, okay, we are done with the untold story, but after a break, we are going to look at another true life crime movie called The Rapist from 1994. So, see you after the break. Welcome back, and we are reviewing The Rapist from 1994 in this part of the episode, and plot from the Hong Kong digital review of the film, and that is our friend John Charles from Taiwan War, who wrote this. Organized crime and trial bureau officer Lao Mang Ching, played by Chan Kwok Bong, is assigned to the Tunman Rapist case and finds his work immediately hampered by potential witnesses who refuse to aid in the investigation. Studying the files for the past two years, Lao deduces that the crimes are all the work of one individual and narrows the possible locations of the next attack down to three housing estates. 
Unfortunately, the police take out the wrong building, leaving the culprit, played by Lee Gassing, free to strike again. And this is where the fun ends. Uh, this is, again, yeah. based on a real crime, and, uh, and, and not that the real crime in Anton's story was fun or anything, but uh, we, we got some more uh, meat uh, this time. Not meat until story-wise, but meat, uh, you know, substance here. Because uh, uh, King Who owns the book Hong Kong Murders by Kate Whitehead. And uh, since I couldn't get it uh, before the show, I asked him if he could scan the chapter on the Tunman Rapist. And uh, we, we can provide some unfortunately very disgusting details about the real crime and the rapist. Mm-hmm. But I think, uh, you know, you shouldn't really soften the blow. And it's kind of... I guess respectful to call out the fact that uh, there was a, you know, a scumbag out there that uh, yeah. did these things in, in Hong Kong, and it was um, it was known this crime. So again, based on rapist and serial killer Lam Kwok Fai, um, this all started on a day in April 1992. He was a resident of Tunmun, that is located in the west corner of the new territories, closer to the border of mainland China than central. Uh, the plan was at one point to make Tunmun a self-sufficient satellite town and planners envisioned it as a town where you could live a dignified life and more spacious life than the cramped Hong Kong urban area could offer. Nothing of this really came to be though and this bleak, it became a bleak cityscape and the people of Tunmun became labeled as citizens of cemeteries of lights. And if you see like the beginning of the rapist there are some scenes of those desolate streets and, uh, and just dark buildings but only lights uh you know street lights uh, and i think that that kind of embodies the cemeteries of lights um, aura if you will of uh, to moon and uh, lam kok fai was um largely unemployed he bored and while gambling and drinking sort of helped relieve him of his boredom i mean this was a young guy in his 20s early 20s uh, th- that gambling and all that he, he, he didn't lead anywhere. He wasn't going anywhere. And just like uh, Lam Go Wan, the serial killer Simon Yan played in Dr. Lam, who was also based on a, on a real hor- horrible case, uh, La- this Lam lived in a small flat with his mother and stepmother and four brothers and sisters. I mean, that's depicted in Dr. Lam, uh, that cramped living, uh, living conditions. Not so much here, but uh, th- that's not a, a very uh, rare situation in Hong Kong. That's families live in these um, very tight areas if you will um, in tight living conditions uh, but again in april of 1992 his aimless walking at night so uh, lamb saw a girl in her early 20s getting out of a taxi and he followed her into an elevator he waited for the doors to shut and then jumped her he uh, squeezed her neck uh, hard so hard that she lost consciousness and when she regained her senses uh, she was lying in a pool of her own blood in a stairwell, shirt pulled up, uh, her jeans uh, caught around her ankles, and she'd, she'd be raped. Uh, in June of the same year, 1992, uh, Lam followed a waitress in her, her early 30s and decided to rob her, but eventually he just repeated the pattern f- uh, from the first crime. A 39-year-old woman was his next vi- victim in August of 92, and by this time, um, Lam continued to strike once a month, uh, almost because next was a 32 year old woman after that a 28 year old woman uh, and in september and october of 1992 and re- it was not uncommon in terms of the crime statistics um, uh, rapes um, that is in tunmun uh, but women tended not to report crimes like this because in chinese culture um, rape brings extreme shame uh, it is a humil- humiliation that you should 
keep uh, hidden and, and you kind of see that in movies as well and it's very much real uh, despite this month by month like attacks uh, rapes lamb didn't strike again until february of uh, 1993 and this time he attacked a 50 year old woman in similar fashion but this time he uh, sodomized her as well yeah <laughs> this is not a fun read and nothing fun to write either listeners what he didn't realize um, in regards to that 50 year old woman uh, is that he killed her as well he heard that on the news the day after uh, this is depicted in the film not the uh, sodomizing part but uh, you do see uh, this older woman is uh, killed by him uh, police were now setting up female decoys to try and catch him but uh, since he attacked so quickly and was a strong fella seemingly I mean the job was um, for um, female volunteers only. I mean, they, they yeah, yeah they, they needed something real to lure him in. Uh, and they, it didn't work to look him up in the archive of sexual offenders either because uh, he had a clean record and he didn't fit the profile as he was a 21-year-old living at home. In, in the movie, they, the profile is of a much older man. Uh, all of this was also in the public eye now. I mean, there was fear, anger, demonstrations, uh, politicians demanding that the police solve the case now, which is the easiest swipe to take as a politician, actually. And uh, in desperation, the police actually arrested a 26-year-old electrician, but he was released two days later as they had no evidence to go on at all. And uh, <clears throat> Lam was aware of the pressure building, and he reached out to his only friend, someone called Wong Kuang Chung, and essentially admit admitted his crimes over the telephone and this put Wong in a quite a quite a position I mean he knew he had a responsibility to report this but he was so angry that his friend pulled him in uh, but ultimately he left an anonymous tip to the police sketch artist to kind of aid them and uh, left it at that uh, two weeks after the call Lamb struck again raping a and killing a 20 year old disc jockey just a minute from his own flat uh, and uh, yeah it's harsh stuff this and uh, it was more vicious this attack uh, than before and he was fully aware that he killed her so uh, and obviously the police started even the pressure was even more harsh now you know finger pointing towards police were, were continuing I mean the killer was under their noses yet no progress was being made and the decoys weren't working they were theorizing that the killer might be a taxi driver akin to Lango One, but this led nowhere either and uh Eventually, Lam Guok Fai moved to his sister in Hong Hong, but that didn't alter his aimless lifestyle. I mean, just a month after this move, he followed a woman home, he got into a lift with her, but this time he decided to talk with her, saying that uh, she wouldn't be hurt if she didn't, didn't scream, and uh, he led her out in the stairwell, ordered her to strip, and he, he did sodomize her, and uh, even afterwards wanted her to chat with him, and, and when she angrily slapped him in the face, Lam uh, actually killed her instantly by slamming her into the wall so uh, that this was especially horrible because uh, apparently the woman's boyfriend was just a few doors down the hall uh, she was almost home uh, so that's uh, yeah yikes. but uh, an attack two months later resulted in the woman fleeing alive from lab scripts so some some actually did did that but didn't manage to identify him or report report him at all but uh, the breakthrough came uh, when uh, uh, during the next attack because uh, lamb raped a woman on top of a wooden cart but again continued his uh, trait of uh, wanting interaction he wanted to chat with them he wanted this woman to be his girlfriend and he wanted to go to a movie with her someday and they they made a date or, or obviously forced date uh, uh, 
the woman was told by her family to just forget and move on but uh, she didn't she refused and uh, she got support by her brother actually to um and, and went to the police her brother was a correctional services officer and she reported the rape and a plan was hatched to catch lamb uh when he met up with a woman outside of the cinema and, and uh lamb did he you know he was under the impression that i got a girlfriend now i i'm on a date and uh out of it oh yeah just um yeah madness and uh he was uh, captured on the scene uh before anything happened obviously um by the woman's brother as well so and uh, it's 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 interesting that in interrogations, apparently, as Kate Whitehead writes, they treated Lam Kwok Fai gently in interrogations, almost friendly. And this was how police got a full confession out of him. And he was given three terms of life imprisonment. And uh, you, you got to also remember that back then, at least in this area, there were no security cameras in elevators. So, or even hallways or whatever. So Lamb could go on this spree uh, unnoticed. And unfortunately, I mean, uh, unfortunately, some things have to happen before actions uh, take place. You know, mm-hmm. uh, the movie depicts all of these beats well, if you will. But for script purposes, I think they were um, treating the pattern of the attacks a little bit differently because they are talking about the two months apart uh, um, angle that he attacks uh, at four a.m two months apart uh, and the final confession is staged uh, differently as well uh, but, but uh, they, they don't stage it like uh, in a gentle way like uh, uh, Chang Kok Bong is being friendly towards him but it's more of a uh, you, you gotta put character against character uh, you gotta lead and you got his opponent if you will so they write uh, the end of the movie and the interrogation and confession in that way so yeah which i think is uh is fine uh, i mean it would have been more stupid i think if they went the danny lee route of just beating him up and making him confess that way when apparently that didn't happen at all right hmm. you gotta dust yourself off or clean yourself off after reading that uh, but you know it's um take a shower sometimes um sometimes you gotta get a you know a whiff of reality and uh this crime is um, very, very horrible, and the movie uh, and the movie doesn't shy away a lot uh, from it either. Uh, some general notes on the cast and crew. I know nothing uh, biographical wise of director Cha Chun Yi, but his movies are a hit among some of uh, some of these uh, Hong Kong film aficionados of uh, cult movies. Uh, he had a short stint at Shaw Brothers with Journey of the Doom in 1985, but it's mostly the 90s work that uh, made him shine more brightly. The uh, Category 3 movies such as Take Me with uh, Veronica Yip. Uh, again, The Rapist, he directed Legal Innocence, which is based on the same true-life crime that Clarence Fox, Remains of a Woman, also covered. He directed a wild movie, Awakening. Uh, it can't be described, it's just wild. Anthony Wong and Simon Yam is in that one. Uh, supernatural, to an extent. Uh, but primarily, Chai is famous for the two Once Upon a Time in Triad Society film, uh, films, uh, really where creativity was at its peak when he made those Triad satire spin-offs um, parodies, really. Uh, all stars align creatively in these movies, uh, even if not box office-wise. I mean... Um, those movies weren't successful. The Rapist earned a modest four million, for instance, where compared to Untold Stories, fifteen million. And last film to date from Cha Chun Yi was um, kind of edgy family drama, Super Kid from two thousand and six. You know, it's a kids movie, it's a drama, it's kind of a comedy, but it's also a movie that throws in a Men Behind the Sun reference. Uh, 
which doesn't really belong in a kids movie man <laughs> so it's sort of edgy but uh, not does uh, someone have their hands frozen and then shattered in the movie or? no no it's just that they mention it in dialogue I think yeah. oh. but uh, you don't hear that necessarily so um Inspector Lau in the movies played by Chan Kwok Bong, who viewers might have seen in Story of Ricky as the inmate um, that Fan Su Wong, he, he learns um, to play the flute with uh, this uh, blade, a uh, blade, a uh, leaf. Uh, that's uh, Chan Kwok Bong, and he gets his face torn off by Yukari Oshima, I think. Oh, yeah. uh, he's also a stuttering so in Once Upon a Time in China and America, the sixth uh, Once Upon a Time in China movie. And it's a strong acting force in Category 3 movies of this time. He logged a fine uh, two fine uh, performances uh, as first uh, as the husband searching for his kidnapped wife in San Francisco in the movie by Otto Chan called Gates of Hell really good movie really 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 good and by the same director you got the diary of a serial killer that featured uh, Chan in this kind of Simon Yan Anthony Wong-esque role if you will um, but he under the direction of Otto Chan and working with that leading lady from Gates of Hell Strawberry, fantastic name, Strawberry Young. Uh, th- that trio made made for a good creative um, creative trio. So, so that was good. And on to the movie, uh, the rapist. Let's have fun now. No, I'm just kidding. Oh, <laughs> uh, no, no, no. So, in short, first, Joshua, what did you think of the rapist? And it really did. Did all of this like extensive backstory um, inform your? Uh, so, did, did it help to have this extensive backstory? You think? I think it, you know I don't know uh as far as like my enjoyment of the film I think it uh, it definitely colored my perception of it uh not necessarily for a positive or anything like that cuz the whole time you know having actually read that story you know I'm just kind of like going oh well they changed this they changed that you know mm-hmm. the entire time almost like having read the book before seeing a movie and uh in that case you know it kind of I don't know I, I didn't feel feel much of a connection with our lead character and I guess part of it is because I feel like he's like some kind of made up character you know it's inserted into a a real story mm-hmm. but uh, uh you know as to, even aside from that though you know I did enjoy the film eventually you know after uh just kind of setting that stuff aside and kind of like uh just taking it as a thriller and uh in that regard I think the movie does work though I think it has some issues mm-hmm. along the way yeah, it's um, it's more even tempered uh, mood-wise compared to our oh, story. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it also attempts on style, but it's uh, but again, it's mostly straightforward, which is uh, you know more of an honor of the victims kind of uh, because right. they don't they don't go for comedy despite making an exploitation movie, and uh, it, it's a decent and sometimes tense thriller uh, shot in effective, gritty-looking locations, uh, uh, which might have been in Tun Moon as well. Uh, so. Um, because the, these hallways with the flickering lights and all that stuff, yeah. they, they, those are not studio builds. Uh, so they go, they went out on location to capture the horrible feel of uh, of this time. That's one thing you know I, I really liked about the film is that uh, despite being you know taking place in a lot of different areas and everything like that, the movie kind of has a, a claustrophobic feel to it because there's so many like hallways and stairwells and you know elevators and you know, the movie constantly is kind of taking place in like cramped corridors mm-hmm. you know and uh i think that that kind of gives it a, a very grim atmosphere very dark you know i think that really works for it mm. 
And 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 it all is accompanied by again more industrial ambience sounding scores. You know, it's, it's often a good choice for these movies. And it's interesting though it's that the start is very fragmented. You know, we get desolate shots of again the the the, the dark cityscapes, but with lights every now and again. There's no people on the streets. I mean, again, the cemeteries. Cemetery of, of Lights, you know, and then cut to a victim in her own blood, cut to a TV program reenacting the the crimes, cut to yeah. people joking about the ongoing rapes, cut to a live victim, you know, what, uh, 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 <laughs> you, you know, and, and I think Cha Chun Yi is trying to just, uh, you know, g- give these all of these like horrible glimpses into the life of uh, of uh, what goes on in Toon Moon, you know, here, yeah. this is what happens here, this is what happens here, this is, and all is kind of unfortunate. Yeah, it's all about creating a certain atmosphere, and I think the director does a good job of that, you know. Mm. There's a horror, the joke in the restaurant, what, what is it, the guys say who, who oh, are yeah. eating, like, uh, well, well, if we had... If we had a more prostitutes, yeah, if we had a whorehouse yeah. or more prostitutes in Tunmun, this wouldn't have happened. <laughs> yeah. you know, and, and you know, it kind of happens that way in real life too. That sometimes dark humor is how you kind of get by, despite this being uh, also horrible, absolutely horrible to joke about. Yeah. Uh, so all of this is mid-crisis. Uh, uh, we we have some f- little bit of flashback structure, but uh, we we kind of mid-crisis, if you will, and. Uh, um, and, and and I guess um, one aspect that I like in terms of the filmmaking is that uh, it's not a choreographed movie. I mean, the attacks are very matter of fact and uh, messy. Oh yeah. Uh, I mean, you you, you got uh, probably in a you know a camera crammed crammed into an actual elevator, and uh, Liga Singh is uh, the actor playing Lam Kok Fai. It's you know you you can't choreograph it uh, in a detailed way. You just have to kind of convey the quick assault of the rapist and right, the girls the girls do a good job too because they constantly look like they're trying to get the hell out of there you know and he has to you know overpower them which is part of his character and everything like that he had very brutal very awful scenes mm. i think it's more scary when it's not that rehearsed looking right you know what i mean yeah and, and especially since this is shot in uh, uh locations that are not uh, like very built or constructed you know uh, th- these are actual locations you know from from, from the s- suitable hallways you know that might have had flickering fl- fluorescent lights or they put them in but regardless they create a very like bleak atmosphere and uh, you know it doesn't spare us and, uh, because we, we get immediately like Lam Kok Fai you know, fondling his victims uh, uh, when they're out and, uh, and he's not a over the top rapist either which is no. I think is a key yeah. Uh, we don't get like a cackling no rapist there's anything. no howling at the moon in this one yeah exactly uh, the, and it helps too that he's very um, he's not a known actor as such I mean I've seen him in a few things but we don't get Simon yeah that's the Tunmun <laughs> rapist which I'm sure would have been fine but oh, yeah. uh, but mostly this is not this uh, this doesn't have any you know a Simon Yam or an Anthony Wong even in the leads which is um um, a good thing for once. I mean, well, you could be immersed a little bit in reality uh, that way. But 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 even the best actors make you think of, you know, the realism of the situation too. Right. Uh, so um, yeah, it, it's partly a flashback uh, movie, and I appreciate it that it doesn't go that, that it is uh, that it's it's only that partly because the, the category three movies got so familiar 
after a while, you know, the cops catch the bad guy, flashback to the crime, movie over. But yeah. here it kind of jumps a little bit uh, back and forth and uh, is even uh, straightforward and streamlined. So, uh, so. I, I felt like the, uh, the main, you know, our villain or what have you, I, I thought he kind of took a bit of a back seat, you know. I mean, they do show him occasionally, like his personal life or what have you, but uh, it, it's slightly more slasher film-ish, you know, in the fact that, like, he shows up, he does the rape or what have you, and then he's gone, and we're back to the cops. Mm. You know, thought that was interesting rather mm. than you know. Well, well it wasn't like... really quick and efficient too. So uh, no, no. Uh, in real life, uh, seemingly, I mean, uh, especially when he uh, took them out, you know, and, oh, um, well, yeah, and, yeah. and made them unconscious, you know. So, uh, which yeah. is, you know, I've seen plenty of people, you know, knocked out and stuff like that by chokes and everything like that, and you know the. The way this guy must have done it, you know, I mean, average person's probably knocked out that I've seen, you know, most of the time you're only out like a minute or so. Mm. You know, this guy must have been, you know, I mean, probably holding their throat almost the entire time, just mm-hmm. sending them in and out of consciousness more than mm. likely. And, and we don't really, we, we can't confirm that because despite these being pretty shocking sequences in these mm-hmm. gr- grungy, gritty locations, they, they are not long like uh, rape scenes no. or anything because there are so many attacks to kind of cover that and and but why you you, you there is an argument for not lingering on uh, on on the horrible stuff there is an argument to try and convey the utmost horror when right. being fragmented almost about it you know what i mean mm-hmm. uh, so so the, the atmos around it helps so, so uh, uh, the only thing I didn't get, I mean, I mean, uh, <laughs> this is the funny bit. Uh, uh, compared to the untold story, we got a devoted group of cops here. Oh yeah, you know? they're yeah. they're there and they're taking it seriously. They're there for their respecter. Uh, but I did it. You know, I like Chan Kwok Bong. He's a good actor. I never really understood why. You know, he took his own crime scene photos. I get that, but he came off as kind of a perv too, like taking right. random <laughs> shots of you know, there's a girl walking down the hall, uh, walking down the stairs. I'll grab a shot of her legs. Yeah, I mean the character of Inspector Lau. You know, I, I just I didn't really click with him at all really during the movie. I I don't know. I think it's part of the whole. Uh, you know, there's a team of cops. There's like he has what like four or five people underneath him or whatever. Mm-hmm. And throughout the whole movie, he's the only guy that has like any ideas whatsoever. He's constantly telling them what to do. Mm-hmm. You know, so everybody else is just completely utterly really dependent upon this character. And uh, I don't know that the cocky kind of attitude I get from him. And then, you know, I suppose they're also trying to tie together, like, you know, create something between our lead protagonist and this cop, you know, Mm. especially towards the end during the confessional scenes and stuff like that, where he's kind of like, they're they're trying to shoehorn something that puts these two together. Like, Mm, you know, you know, we're one in the same, you know, almost, you know, it's Batman and the Joker or what have you. Mm. But, you know, that's not really developed that well and uh, you know it's something that that's the batman reference by the way oh (laughs) (laughs) we're nothing alike (laughs) there we go got him in yes yeah you're you're right actually i think that that is uh not the most uh worked out part of the movie there there are some interesting beats in uh inspector lao's uh uh, character journey if you will but uh, i i agree it didn't feel like uh they built up that connection between them as such. Uh, it, it was just said. Uh, uh, di- it was just dialogue by then. Oh, apparently. Okay. And 
I hate to throw out another Batman reference, but <laughs> Inspector Lau's kind of like the Joker in that he se- apparently keeps changing his background story and why he's so interested in the case. Mm-hmm. First, it's that he was raped, and then it was his sister was raped, and mm. you know, how did he get these scars? Yeah, it's it's a yeah. I was um mm, yeah. I was a bit like, I was a bit like hmm. What's, okay, but yeah. I I I still um you know I I just looked at him, at him as you know the leader of the cops and that's sufficient right. I suppose. But I do agree. It's yeah. uh they, they do try something. I mean, it's there's like you know the, the the scene where he plays that uh, stacking game. You know, and the cops mm, come in. That, I I I I got something for you. I got an update. Shh. And he, uh, what's it called, that game? Jenga. Okay, so he, he got to remove one piece and all are looking at it and he managed to, man- manages to, and it's a tense scene. And yeah. and I didn't get that at all. And it wasn't even no a dopey idea. inclusion, like, uh, no. very serious. Like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I, I suppose, and I'm reaching, that it's uh, showing, like, how deadly serious or methodical he is? I have no idea. It's just fucking stupid. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the only piece that I can, uh, of his development, uh, if you will, that I could kind of, I don't know, get on with but understand more is when he, at one point, they're, they're using the um, the female cop of the group as a decoy, Ivy, played by Farini Jung. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, Farini Chung, that's it. Um, so, and, and when she sleeps for a little bit in the van, he looks at her and kind of the camera like uh, starts at her legs and moves up, and it seems like he's like you know undressing her with his eyes yeah. a little bit. But but uh, I took that moment as uh, a split second moment in his brain that's kind of uh, elongated for film, because obviously there are like so, you know your brain flashes to like hey that's her legs. And you look at her really quickly, and then she, and, and then that's over in a millisecond in uh, real life. But I think uh, the movie was just trying to, kind of, I don't know, for us for <laughs> make us confused about uh, about it all. But uh, I, th- that isolated moment, I, I suppose, was uh, all, you know, just a natural little human moment, uh, not the, a pervy the, moment. I, the, in the talent, I mean, there's a slight. You know, there's a slight love story supposed to be, I think, blossoming between these two characters. And, like, uh, you know, there's those moments where she's walking down the street and he's watching from binoculars up above. And, you know, he's telling her, you know, to walk more feminine and stuff like that. And Mm. he's slowly complimenting her and, like, you know, you're becoming more feminine with every moment or what have you. And, you know, see her smile and in response to that. So, like, the afterward we get kind of a sequence where he comes and apologizes to her because she kind of gets in a dangerous situation where she almost is in the line of fire with mm-hmm. the rapist. So, you know, he comes to her house and apologizes, and you, you get more of that connection between those two, but uh, it's another thing where it's, it's not very well developed, you know? Mm. I mean, at core, it's, a, it's quite an ordinary stalker thriller with mm-hmm. uh, that kind of direction being some of the highlights, you know, because there are right. ten there are ten scenes here with... You know, Ligasing following, or possibly Ligasing following. Uh, you know, Ivy in the shadows and what have you, and uh, and, um, and and you know, we we don't get m- much of his home life either. Ligasing, I mean, and 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 I suppose it. I wasn't. I was interested, but I knew of it too. Uh, reading the backstories, so I didn't need it as such. But what we didn't see uh, or read is that he likes painting painting pornographic little statues. 
Yeah, yeah. Like, okay. <laughs> and especially with red in the, cro- you know, around the crotch area. It's like, oh. Red around the crotch and red on the nipples. Yeah. So, so I suppose, I mean, it's, uh, it, 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 it sounds like we are kind of like, it's a solid movie, therefore you can dismiss certain elements, I suppose. But there, mm-hmm. there, there are there, there are some very cool sequences with when Iris is the decoy and the editing right. between the all the cops that staged at various um, places around the area in taxi cabs and what have you. That that stuff works for me really well, actually. It got me actually. Yeah, like the uh, the sequence. Uh where we see kind of like the the big payoff, I guess, for it, where Ivy gets into the elevator and the other uh, gentleman comes to it. But, like, as they're doing that, they're also intercutting, you know, which you don't know at the time, but you're actually seeing the rapist who's, like, almost next door mm-hmm. at a different building and, you know, finding a woman going into an elevator. And they cut between the two of them. You know, it's kind of a classical device, but it works very well because even afterward I was slightly confused. Like, wait, did, that, did Ivy just get raped? Because that's really disgraceful to the original story because I don't believe any cop was raped. Mm-hmm. But, yeah. Uh, yeah, that, that was that was pretty, actually. Uh, it made me feel fearful, too. Right. Um, so w- w- one scene I, c- I kind of disliked with Avengers was a big old exposition scene where he gathers all his uh, cop buddies on the uh, roof oh, yeah, exactly, and tells the story about this is when he attacked this is what happened blah 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 yeah. blah blah, blah. And, and it's like yeah we know that <laughs> yeah. you know the cops know that and he's just speaking to the audience <laughs> in that scene right. uh, really sloppy piece of exposition really really sloppy and that was part of the reason, you know, that was one of my notes for, like, the sequences where, you know, our main, where uh, Kwok Bong's character is just, like, the god of this case and knows everything. Like, nobody else has kind of handed any of that exposition or anything like that to come up with ideas or what have you. When it could have been a little bit more of a, a little bit more open where, you know, the rest of the characters could have played into it. Not necessarily just that one sequence that could have been done. You know, up until that point with all the characters meeting up and everything, but instead everything's put on this Inspector Lau character, and he has to expose everything for the audience, and all of his other cops have to look like dummies, basically, yeah. listening in. And I don't mind exposition normally, but that was like, I, I know what you're doing and this is distracting right, right. now. Uh, but overall, they did this decent aura of hopeless investigation because they get no... they they make no progress and they get hardly any help from the residents and, and again it helps shooting in these real locations with very real looking people either people they cast on the spot or just good character bit part players i mean i, right. I didn't recognize any of them so I, i'm thinking like they got some natural talent in here mm-hmm. yeah like uh the old woman who's supposed to be deaf or what have you mm-hmm. <laughs> you know at the apartment building that that was an really neat sequence i thought like early on where uh like right after i think the first rape or at least the first known rape of uh this character they go into the apartment and start you know shouting like at two in the morning i guess shouting you know rape help yeah. you know fire and you know no one cuts on their lights no one steps outside no one no. looks out their window until they see this one light come on and so they sit there, they go over to a door where the light came on, and they throw change in front of the door. Yeah. And uh, the older woman, she steps out, and she's one of those type actresses. You just 
looks like they just picked her up off the street, but she's good. And uh, she comes out to pick up the change, and they're like, well, did you see anything? Because you sure heard this change. Mm-hmm. It's like, no, I'm deaf and blind, or whatever. Mm, yeah, and, and it's not a comedy sequence as such, either. No. It's just a very, uh, play, play very real, and I think it's uh, very true to the mentality out there, because no one wants to deal with the police if they don't have to. Uh, you, yeah. you see that in Hong Kong movies, and I think it's true Glo- globally to an extent as well, uh, yeah. which is kind of horrible, but uh, I, I, I don't argue against that reality. Not at all. Uh, we won't go into too much more details. I just want to say they do depict uh, uh, the rape that led to his capture. Uh, this sequence where he, he wants to be gentle, he wants to chat with her, and all of that. It's a very drawn out sequence for, for so to say, good reasons because it's very uncomfortable the way he wants to be gentle with her. She's obviously panicking. She wants to go home, and he can snap at any time. You know, am I not good enough? <laughs> Right. And 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 uh, Liga Singh and that that girl whose name I I don't know actually the the female actress uh, is very effective in that regard especially in this scene and uh, and and viewers might have only seen him in one other movie because he's uh, I had to look it up because I couldn't recognize him but he's in New Kids in Town aka New Killers in Town with Chin Su Ho and uh, Lau Ga Lung which is a pretty good action movie but uh, that's um, one of his uh, other lead roles and. Uh, I don't have anything really else to say. I think I still think it's a very solid movie with some problems, but um, uh, I, I I do recommend it because it stays true to the case somewhat and, and decides to not fuck about with uh, moods because uh, sometimes you have to respect uh, the serious nature of the crime. Sometimes. I think I, I agree completely. I think it's a really solid movie. I think some of the the moments, like the things I've mentioned and stuff, where you know there are pro- obvious problems with the movie, I, I still think that. You know, I appreciate the fact that they tried to do certain things. You know, I appreciate that they tried to have this character who they're developing probably as, uh, you know, one person who envelops probably an entire police force. You know, this one guy, this Inspector Lau character. I like that they try to do certain things with him. It's unfortunate that it didn't really work, mm-hmm. but, you know, it prevents the movie from being just a tired, you know, police procedural movie because those can get really boring Mm -hmm. and uh this movie's never that for sure and the editing's tight and it works and you know and it does what it's supposed to do for the most part um one other kind of thing that bugs me though is that the fact that they create this inspector lao character but then you know our main villain you know, which is true to the story that he goes to uh, an entirely different city and starts raping there, mm-hmm. and he's eventually busted there. But you know, our Inspector Lau, who we you know created and developed, has nothing to do with it whatsoever. He just shows up for you know the uh, interrogation. Yeah, because they're, they're and, different police departments that uh, right. now because uh, Hong Hong is presumably uh, not, not super close to Tunmun, so. Right, so it's like if they, you know, you kind of wish that if they were going to develop this character or whatever, you know, you kind of wish that they'd have been created a scene or two where they could have called him in and been like, "Oh yeah, you're the Tunman rape, rapist, you know, inspector. You know all about mm. this. We think this guy's him," and brought him in at least for the bust. You know, that way it would have had some kind of dramatic impact. But unfortunately, it just it doesn't. You know, mm-hmm. he shows up after the case, and we get the flashback explaining it, but. Still works, but you know it, the payoff isn't really as strong because of it. 
yeah, my friend John gave the movie five out of ten and a marginal recommendation in his uh, review. And uh, five or six, if we were to put a grade on it, I mean, it's a marginal to even recommended uh, watch if you yeah. if you're interested in what this era brought us in terms of true life crime. And this is one of the less talked about movies, but um, it's worth watching. It's a quick watch as well. Most definitely. Uh, Ocean Shores had distribution rights for the movie in Hong Kong, and I think they released a Laserdisc DCD, but they did release a solid-looking DVD, which uh, it, the master was still the cinema print with the um, embedded subtitles, but it's letterboxed, and it's clear-looking, and it's uh, suitable-looking, too. I mean, uh, uh, like, devoid of colors a little bit, and uh, and uh, the, the movie's presented well on this DVD, I think. Uh, that's now out of print, because Ocean Shores are not pressing DVDs anymore. Uh, but the movie ended up on a US DVD, which is possibly a bootleg, as uh, part of a double bill with the Taiwanese black magic nasty the devil. And this set was called Tales of Voodoo Volume 3 by Video Asia, which is pretty much uh, a crap, crap company in many people's eyes. But, you know, they, they might have just you know, slapped these movies on the disc uh, and, uh, you know, managed to offer the DVD uh, well. Tales of Voodoo. <laughs> So I mean, if you if you can pick it up cheaply, good, and uh, hopefully it's uh, it's watchable, and Video Asia didn't mess up the DVD offering in that regard. So, uh, and the Devil, uh, that we covered that on Taiwan Noir as well. That's a good old black magic nasty. So good old, <laughs> yeah, old, old black magic nasty. <laughs> uh, right, next time around, I, I I do have still in my mind to continue the true crime trend, but I also like jumping back to the tidy whitey theater. Uh, I missed the smell, Josh. We <laughs> <laughs> have to get back. <laughs> uh, because we're not there now. We're in uh, our screening room. That is just a, yeah. uh, it is a red light bulb uh, where we are. You know, So it's a screening room akin to that. And, yeah. and I'm playing soundtrack that may, uh, in the background that makes it sound like a David Le- Makes it feel like a David Lynch movie. You know? <laughs> so I'm um, getting the atmosphere right. But regardless... Uh, for the sake of completion, next time at the Tidy Whitey Theater, next episode for us, we are going to do Sex and Sen 2 and Sex and Sen 3. Oh. Me and King Who did Sex and Sen once upon a time in the early stages of uh, this week in Sleaze. But wait, if you can't get enough of the Untold Story vibe, and if you wanted a rip-off slash remake of it shot on video, well, there is one. From 2002, and it's called Bloody Buns. <laughs> Starring Hugo mm, from Brother of Darkness, the guy who was impotent in Brother of Darkness. And that we will review in a website exclusive bonus episode that is only available on podcastonfire.com. It will go up at the same time as this main show does. So see you there for, uh, for, some, uh, for some crap. <laughs> <laughs> It is subtitled this time around, uh, rather than the Rape by an Angel 5-2 uh, um, movie that we reviewed. Uh, this one is subtitled, so yeah. uh, so look forward to that. This has been This Week in Sleaze on the Podcast on Fire Network website, podcastonfire.com. You can find this show, all the other shows, and the bonus episodes there. Email us for feedback, podcastonfire at googlemail.com. Join us over at Facebook, facebook.com forward slash PUF network is our page that you can click a like, but join the discussion group by clicking the link on that page or typing in podcast on fire network in the Facebook search box and that will make the group pop up and request to be added and you're essentially in. Uh, follow us on Twitter, twitter.com forward slash podcast on fire. 
follow my writing sogoodreviews.com and check out my video reviews at sleazykvideo.com and my tweets are at twitter.com forward slash sogoodreviews check out this week in sleep on itunes and subscribe and if you like the show we would very much appreciate a little star rating that's only click away but if you have some words in you about the show please share leave a little mini reviews on itunes and uh, and then let us know what you think, you know, what we do good, what we can do better. And if we're just assholes, then you're fine too. It's okay if you leave that remark as well. At least be <laughs> honest, you know. Uh, and stream us on Stitcher if you don't prefer to download podcasts to your preferred device. Download the application to your iPhone, iPad, Android, or BlackBerry. And once you're in Stitcher, type in Podcast on Fire Network and you can add each show individually. What I forgot to mention at the top of the show is, of course, Shelf Life Clothing, Brian Kirby's t-shirt line. He helped design the intro and outro. Josh did some work on the intro as well. So support Brian, shelflifeclothing.com. And your plugs, Joshua. Uh, vcinemashow.com and variedcelluloid.net. You can find vcinema uh, on Twitter, at vcinemashow, I think John is. And I'm at variedcelluloid. And... Uh, Fairy Celluloid on Facebook, facebook.com slash Fairy Celluloid, if I'm not mistaken. And if you are, then that's your fault. Whatevs. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, yeah, let's stop the fucking that is fucked up and horrible and await the next episode where he turns goofy and fun again. Shoe K with a penis await you. Thank uh, you very much. See you next time. <laughs> bye.